to the Wild Feather Podcast. I'm Brooke Dunwell, serial entrepreneur, sponge for life, and lover of people. Join me as we uncover the stories of courageous female entrepreneurs, founders, and investors pushing beyond limitless boundaries. Let's explore their creative journeys and pursuits to greatness. Today we have Laura Odin. Laura is the CEO of Pandir Shoes and a singer-songwriter based in Alaska. For the past five years, she and her co-founder have been on a mission to make expandable, stylish shoes for millions of people who have been forgotten by the footwear industry. She's personally had lymphedema herself most of her life and has always wanted to find comfortable shoes that fit. Ironically, the journey of Pandir all started at a startup weekend where she met her co-founders. She's brilliant, fun, and real. She takes us on her journey, not knowing anything about the shoe industry when she started. Thanks, Laura, for uh, joining us today on The Wild Feather, and hope all is going well. I'm so excited to have you here and to share your story of how you started your company and what your mission is and all the fun stuff that goes along with it. Right. Thank so, you. yeah. So tell us about Pandir shoes. Pandir shoes. Well, that's our company and we make expandable footwear for people who uh, don't fit into regular shoes. And uh, turns out there's a whole lot of them. The reason I started the, the reason we started this company is because I have a chronic condition that causes one foot to be swollen and one foot to be normal. And uh, it's interesting. There's just millions and millions of people out there who have this problem. So that's why we started. That's awesome. Now, when did you start? Well, we were working on it from about 2016, but we actually launched our very first uh, you know, sales at the tail end of 2018. So we're kind of, we're, we're budding on our third year here. We're, we're still kind of in the first part of our third year. We kind of don't count the first couple months. Right. <laughs> well, and you have an interesting story of when you got started, right? Because you went to pitch, you did contests. So tell us we about did. that. We did. Um, you know, I wandered into this event one night that was called Startup Weekend. And what it was, was a, a, a little weekend workshop where people got together and it's put on by the, at the time it was put on by the Kaufman Foundation and people would get together and pitch ideas and then they would form groups and then they would work on them over the course of the weekend. And then, you know, on Sunday at the end of the weekend, there would be a little fanfare and a little judging and somebody won. And I kind of went to that weekend, not really having any expectation, just wanted to participate in the event. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I actually met my two co-founders and we won the competition. <laughs> that's awesome. You didn't have a prototype or anything. You came with an idea. That was just an idea. It was really identifying a problem and a, a theoretical solution at that point. In fact, at the end of that contest uh, or that that weekend, we the three of us we we just really liked each other, and I had put together lots of teams before, so I kind of recognized a good team when I saw it. 
And we decided to just spend the next six months looking to see if somebody else was already doing this. Right. And, uh, you know, sure enough, six months later, we had spent quite a time, quite a bit of time looking to see if somebody else had already started making something that would work for this particular population. And we couldn't find anybody. So we carried on and moved to the prototyping step at that stage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a couple of questions and then I, well, I have lots, but anyway, um, one, what did you do in your previous life uh, before the startup? Well, the, the 13 years prior to the startup, I worked in healthcare. Uh, I actually worked in administration and in finance. Um, I managed a bunch of departments and I moved over to the business planning section of the, of the healthcare facility. And it was, it was, um, I worked in Alaska native healthcare. So it's a very interesting place to work. Yeah. And, uh, prior to that, I did a bunch of other things, but, uh, I had a few businesses at various different times. So business was kind of in my background, uh, but I didn't really have any intention of starting a business again. (laughs) (laughs) Just had an idea. Then you had a problem. That was the that's the main point, right? Like fixing a problem. Yeah, it's real nice to get a you know paycheck every week, like reliable, and just give (laughs) give somebody a W two and you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the joys of no paychecks! I uh, it's good stuff. But, you know, once we really started diving into it, uh, you know, it was really apparent that this is a huge problem and that really needed to be solved and nobody else was solving it. And the industry, the shoe industry could have addressed this ages ago. They've chosen not to, in part because, you know, it's 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 not a big market for them. Um, It's a big market for us, but it's not a big market for them. And in our view, you know, one of the things that we did you know, I have one normal foot and one swollen foot. So we really had to make shoes that accommodated normal feet. So our shoes are fine for normal people. It's just that they also work for people who have all these foot anomalies. Right. So you can expand one and not expand the other. Sure. So what did you do prior to creating these shoes? How did you fix your own situation? Did you just buy two different sizes? Oh my gosh, I did all kinds of things over the course of, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I really, this condition that I have is called lymphedema and it's, I've had it since I was 16. Um, I had cancer surgery when I was 16 um, and then subsequently developed the swelling, which is a pretty common side effect of cancer surgery. It's, it's less so now they've got so many amazing treatments available. Uh, but anyway, I, I had quite a lot of swelling. Um, when I had my daughter, I had a C-section and that made things worse. So the, you know, I tried to do a whole lot of things. I bought shoes too big. I bought two pair of shoes. Sometimes I wore shoes too tight. I wore post-op boots, post-op shoes, and I live in Alaska. So occasionally I have to put a plastic grocery bag over my foot and then put my foot into the post-op shoe. So, I mean, I think people with swelling are, 
actually coming up with some rather creative solutions for kind of DIY solutions. I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of people, you know, do things like cut Crocs down the middle and add laces where they need them so that they can, you know, kind of expand this way. Um, but, you know, what, what I always knew from early on is that part of the solution was going to be in, in making a shoe that like expanded this way because people who have swelling don't necessarily have wider feet. Often they do have a little wider feet, but that's usually not really the main issue. The problem is the instep and the midfoot and they need to be able to accommodate a larger volume. And the way the industry has solved this problem is they've just made really giant orthopedic shoes um, that can accommodate a tremendous amount of, you know, width and then you get volume that way. But, you know, I mean, you know, who wants to wear orthopedic sh looking shoes? Nobody. Right. Nobody. Right. Yeah. Well, it, these also apply to, I mean, I know when I was pregnant, my feet were swollen, right? Uh, and I just dealt with it. But at one point in time, I had arthritis and all these side symptoms from other health issues. And I couldn't wear any shoes other than Crocs because my feet were still swollen. So, but it was temporary. But still, like when you're pregnant, I know a ton of people could utilize these because their feet swell, right? In addition to, you know, people with situations such as yourself, right? Because it applies to a ton of people. Well, here's here's what we discovered along our journey. Um, you know, originally we were just trying to make shoes for people with swelling. Mm -hmm. um, and as we would do these contests, we would meet people in the audience and they would say, you know... I have a cousin that has, you know, a toe that was amputated and he can't find anything to fit. And then, you know, we go to the next one. My, somebody said, I have a mom that has just been struggling because of X, Y, and Z. So what we discovered is that it's, there's an enormous number of foot anomalies. You know, you think about what shoes are. Shoes come in, Women's shoes basically came, come in, you know, seven to 13 sizes, depending on what you're offering. And, uh, you know, there's billions of foot shapes out there. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so we're all trying to cram into these sort of standard sizes. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about how shoes are made and sizing because, you know, you're you know, each, each individual shoe is made on its own last and every last is different. So, you know, people come to us and they say, I wear a size eight. Um, and, and we know that that means they wear a size eight in the brand that they're wearing, you know, when they say they wear a size eight, mm -hmm. but it could be anything, especially if you have another foot shape issue. Um, so there's a lot of, Sizing is really very difficult online, but it gets much more complicated when you add in these foot shape issues. Yeah. But yes, you're right. I, I just wanted to get back to the pregnancy. Pregnancy is definitely one where I think, um, you know, hugely beneficial to have. I have so many friends that had this swelling problem when they were pregnant. I, of course, had it. Um, and there's just a whole bunch of conditions that sort of fall into this uh, bucket 
So you did a startup weekend and then you found your two co-founders, which is awesome. You won the competition and then what, where do you go from there? Uh, well, you know, for us, it was really a problem of prototyping. None of us had any experience in the shoe industry. So we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> you know, that's not the normal way people start a shoe company. And so we had to find somebody who could tell us how to make shoes. Uh, and that was a huge and steep learning curve. Let's see. We uh, ended up reaching out to some consultants that were in the shoe industry, had been in the shoe industry for a long time. And, and that's really what moved the project forward. We were able to prototype once we connected with our main partner who still designs our shoes for us and works, coordinates with the factory. Uh, he's the one, he's, he's our buyer's agent. So he was able to get the factory and get the designers and coordinate all that so we could then begin designing the shoe that we want. And, and it was really a hard project because we're really designing shoes very differently than normal shoes are developed. So there was quite a long process of prototyping. It took a couple of years. Uh, so is this like a shoe design engineer or something? Like, I think if, as I think about it, I'm like, that's pretty complex design work. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, it is essentially a shoe engineer. Uh, and you know, that's what they do. They design shoes and they have, uh, expertise in, in those areas. And, um, you know, we have, we really like the ones we're working with right now. Yeah. Now, where do you manufacture at? Our shoes right now are manufactured in Portugal and that has been a great place, uh, to manufacture we are experiencing the same supply chain issues that everybody else is experiencing right now. So, you know, production has been hit really hard. Um, we're struggling with getting our shoes in a, the, the, in this kind of seasonality that we want. Mm. So we got right. our spring shoes late. We're going to get our fall shoes late. You know, maybe we'll, <laughs> Hopefully it'll straighten out next year, but it's all over the world. Every single person that I know that's doing production of any kind is, is hit by it one way or another. Yeah. It's just delayed and it's all because of COVID, right? Everything's delayed. The whole supply chain is disrupted. It's getting supplies. You know, right now we can't get supplies that we need, which are basically the materials to make the shoes. That's what we're waiting on. Yeah. Now, do you source your, materials from somewhere else or do they come from Portugal? Like how did you find your materials? You know, it kind of depends on the shoe that we design. Um, some of the bottoms that we're getting are from other places. Mm -hmm. um, some are from most of the, most of the supplies are coming from Europe. Some of them are coming from Spain. Some are coming from Portugal. I know we got some stuff last year from Morocco uh, so they're kind of coming from that area. Did you get to go over there and go to all those countries and source all of these things? No, I haven't done that yet. I think that's something that we really want to get into more hands-on in the future. But um, things will have to shift up a little bit for me to be able to do that. Um, right now, we really rely on the people at the factory to go find the products that we're asking for. Mm. And uh, so far, it's worked out 
really well and we're re- loving the stuff we're getting. I mean, the materials that we're get- using on our shoes is just above and beyond. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens when people get our shoes, they look at them and they're like, wow, these are really well made. And it's definitely has that kind of handcrafted European look to the shoes. They, you, you know, they, they feel a little heavy and sturdy. Uh, they're, they're just really beautiful nubuck leather and durable. They're just nice materials. They're cool. I think they're hip. I do too. <laughs> That's a slogan we use, by the way. We, we say uh, everyone deserves hip shoes that fit. Ah, I didn't know that. That's great. It's true, right? It is true. Yeah. In fact, you know, you, you asked a question or you mentioned in in the intro about, you know, kind of our mission and stuff, you know, part of what brought us into this so fiercely is that we were just in our research, you know, I knew what my experience had been and the struggle, you know, when you can't find shoes to fit, that really impacts your well-being. And we were being confronted as we were doing research with just the magnitude of this problem. And, you know, people are actually really suffering. And, uh, you know, part of, you know, we, we always say that our mission was to br- is to bring people's mobility back, but also their dignity back. Because, uh, you know, lots of women wear men's shoes and lots of people are wearing the very large orthopedic shoes. And I know, I know everybody's happy to have a pair of shoes on their feet. Um, but you don't want to be stuck in Crocs a hundred percent of the time, you know? Right. So, well, especially in Alaska or here in the winter. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about the impact that your body has, if your feet are, I mean, your feet are the, source and avenue to the entire rest of your body right so if those are affected then your whole body's off right so i think your mission's fantastic because it regardless if people think about it or not everything starts from the feet right yeah absolutely and you know one of the conditions that tends to develop over time for women men too but uh is just bunions and those are incredibly painful and they're often it's often exacerbated by you know wearing small shoes which you know I certainly did as a 20 and 30 something and you know as women age they kind of start wearing different types of shoes the whole industry has trended toward comfort shoes in the last you know decade so that's a trend that's sort of across all segments but um, yeah, I mean, there there is an, there is kind of a natural progression of life. Uh, your feet grow, your feet need more room. People have babies, um, and the whole um, structural architecture of your feet uh, evolves over time. And uh, sometimes you evolve into conditions that are hard to fit, and sometimes you don't. But it's always nice to have just a comfortable pair of shoes, even if you don't have any of those architectural problems. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of people that wear our shoes on plane travel because 
you know, you know how it is. You get on a plane, and by the time you get off the plane, your feet are, you know, bigger and it's tight to get them in. So right. our shoes are also really great for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, okay, so where are you guys at today? And are you guys direct con- to consumer? I know we talked about this, but for sharing purposes, um, are you direct to consumer? Have you, you've gone the retail route. You've tried that. Well, yes and no. We have, we have a lot of things that are kind of hovering in our future right now. You know, COVID really impacted our ability to get into retail stores. And I think that's a trend that's going to be continuing. Um, So right now we're primarily direct to consumer. Um, I think we have some, we we have several things that are kind of in the works. uh, More than kind of. Uh, We're we're working on some, we're working on a, a second line of shoes that will be at a lower price point and we'll probably have access to a lot more retailers. Um, so okay. that's something that's coming probably in 2023 or 2022. Um, and, you know, we, we always have our eye on getting back into the swing of things, trying to get into places like the VA. The VA is a place that has an enormous need for shoes um, but, you know, it's a big government agency, and so it's high, hard to break into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started mm-hmm. to try to do that uh, at the tail end of 2019, or the be- actually the beginning of 2020, uh, and then kind of just got derailed because of COVID. But those are some of the directions that we believe we're headed. What are some obstacles that you have faced and have overcome or maybe they're still ongoing, like from a founder to a founder, right? Like, you know, it has been quite the roller coaster. I mean, I think any founder is going to say that, uh, you know, I think for me, the thing that you just forget about when you're going to start a business is just how persistent the stress and the anxiety is, and it just comes from so many different places because you're wearing a whole bunch of, you're wearing a whole bunch of hats. You're trying on a bunch of new hats. Some you're familiar with, some you're not. It's always a huge learning curve. You know, you're juggling a thousand balls at once and that's just breeds stress and anxiety. And, you know, any founder, you know, you know, any founder they have to be comfortable living in the uncertainty. And I, I think most of us who've started businesses, you know, we would say we are comfortable living in the uncertainty, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really have to tighten your belt and build up your resilience to get through, you know, each, each thing. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think that answered your question. But um, that's okay. So if you were to give advice, if you had any advice to give anybody else, what would it be? Um, well, you know, I mean, (laughs) wow. Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Gee, how much time do we have? Right. Um, (laughs) 
I think, um, you, you know, kind of depends on who I'm giving advice to. If it's, you know, sort of very early stage people trying to decide on whether to start or how to start, you know, I think I have a lot to say about that. Um, I think our, the way we did it was relying on, I, I really think it's, it's incredibly valuable to have a team of two or three people. Um, you know, that doesn't always feel possible at the end, at the beginning, but if you're really trying to do a business that scales, you know, if you can find, especially for women, you know, women really, we, I'll speak for ourselves, we talked through our problems in a way that was highly efficient. Uh, we had a really good ability to, you know, criticize each other and throw out new ideas and bounce around ideas and, and really pack through a lot more, a lot of material because there was three of us putting three different perspectives in. And one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm at the tail end of the boomer age. My two partners were early millennials or, or, or uh, you know, younger millennials. And so we had this really interesting generational um, sharing that made, I think, an incredible impact on our ability to get off the ground. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the duo or the triad for early stage. Mm-hmm. Um, are your other founders, are they full-time doing this too? Well, we actually, one of the founders was uh, very kind of part-time. And she has just moved on. She's moving on to a new life. Uh, But the other partner is also Ayla, Ayla Rogers. She's my, she's my right hand. And uh, yeah, the answer is yes. (laughs) I'm curious. So back at the, not to reverse the whole conversation, but when they went to that startup weekend were they pitching their own ideas at that or were they just attending? Like how did the three of you come out to work on this company? If I'm thinking maybe if they went there for their own idea, right? Well, the, the way the weekend workshop is set up is, is really interesting. I think it's kind of brilliant. Uh, the, the concept is that people come in and they pitch ideas and then they pitch, then they ask you to pitch more and then they sort of dig in the well and they try to get you to pitch more. So there's a whole lot of ideas getting pitched in, in a variety of rounds. And at the end of those rounds, people kind of vote and they whittle it. They whittle the ideas down to mm. a certain number of ideas. And then people are asked to go form their own groups. Um, and the formation of the group sometimes gets rid of some of those ideas because people don't want to work on them. In our particular case, I pitched a couple of ideas. You know, I just wanted to go participate in the weekend. I pitched a couple of ideas and one of them stuck. I think Ayla probably pitched some ideas too. I don't remember if any of those stuck and I don't recall Celia pitching, but um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the three of us actually is funny because there was really only actually one rule to the weekend, which is you cannot be a group of one. <laughs> ah, that's great. So you have to form a group in order yeah. to proceed. And uh, after the first evening, you know, my idea got on the table 
but I was having really a lot of trouble getting people to join my idea. So I was in terrible danger of uh, not being able to pursue it over the weekend, which I, I thought would be fun to work on it over the weekend. So I really wanted to do it. Uh, and uh, I ended up going up to each of them and getting them to commit to a half half time. <laughs> and between two people, I had basically two full people and we could proceed. As the weekend progressed though, we ended up having other people join us. And we just had a lot of traction in our team. We had a lot of energy around it. And some, you know, some of the groups they sort of storm and form and they 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 get bigger. And then, you know, sometimes they get to the point where their idea isn't really going to materialize. Ours was one of the ideas that sort of lasted throughout the whole weekend. So that's sort of how that started. Gotcha. And it was just a lot of fun. I know they still do these. We still do them in Anchorage here. And they are just, they're a hoot. They're just a lot of fun. And they're all over the country. They sound like fun. I haven't been to one, but I want to go to one because it sounds Yeah, like I'll dig up some information and send it to you. You can post it in the notes. Yeah, that'd be great. Also put it on our resources page on our yeah. website. Uh, so what do you want your legacy to be? Well, you know, I just really would love for our shoes to go big because so many people need them. Um, and, you know, right now I would say, you know, going back to one of your earlier questions, um, you know, our issue that we're having right now is just the classic, you know, reaching out to the market. Uh, last year, we did kind of amazingly well through COVID by using paid advertising, and that worked until it didn't. And, uh, you know, our Google ads do great, but our Facebook ads, they just stopped. They just stopped working. Uh, that seemed to coincide with about, you know, December, January of this year. So since then, we've been looking for what's the new, what's the new way that we're reaching out to people. And what's interesting is that we've kind of gone back to a bunch of basics and kind of bunch of basic bootstrapping stuff, you know, like just focus on your core, focus on building your brand, focus on social media, focus on email. I mean, we had actually developed a really healthy list and I think we were under marketing to our email list. So that's another thing that we've gone back to. Um, but I think, you know, for us, we, we just like to, you know, as far as my legacy goes, I just want people to have shoes that fit. Mm -hmm. If, if one of the things that's very, one of the things that keeps us going every single day is we have a very grateful customer base. You know, they, they really have been struggling and this is the first shoe company that's come along that is making shoes for them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when somebody gets on our chat, we actually know about these conditions. People can have a, like, a real conversation with us about what they're going through and, you know, what, what their problems are with fit. You know, if you hop onto Zamo, Zappos or Amazon or anything like that, you're not going to have anybody who has competencies around these medical conditions. Right. So, um, you know, I think we have a really, you know, grateful customer base and we get emails every single day 
but really talk about how shoes changed their lives. So that's all I wish for. I just wish for people to have that kind of comfort and well-being. Right. I, it makes me think of like I had surgery on my foot and the doctor basically prescribed, he wrote it out, but I could only wear certain types of shoes from here on out. Right. And it makes me think that those doctors would be a good seller for you. <laughs> Cause I mean, yeah. he's like, you can only wear these shoes and there are shoes that you buy retail, right? Like sure. Burks and all those things, but yeah. Um, I mean, we spend a lot of time trying to reach out to clinicians um, we do really well with um, the clinicians that are treating the swelling. Those are the ones that are the most like hungry. They're, they're really hungry to reach out to us. And, um, you know, they are kind of the gatekeepers. They can tell their patients about our shoes and it really makes yeah. a big difference. They send a lot of people to us. Um, we have a lot more difficulty getting through to some of the other types of clinicians. We do pretty well with physical therapists and OTs and CLTs and therapists. Uh, we have a lot more trouble getting through the doctors. I, I think this is really just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. uh, more and more, we are hearing from podiatrists, they're reaching out to us, mm -hmm. uh, but they're, you know, they're, they're, I think they tend to, I think podiatrists don't tend to think about um, shoes as much. Mm. Therapists, I think, are they're more, you know, in the line of fire trying to really get people back moving. So, but we do have a lot of post-surgery people who come to us. Yeah, I would think it would be huge. Yeah. So going back to the marketing thing, you said that it's been kind of an obstacle recently. Like you um, did online advertising, it worked and then it just took a halt. Um, for people that may be starting companies and they're like up against marketing challenges or whatnot, like give us an idea. How long did it take for you to see results from the ads? And did you originally have ads on Facebook that were working and then they just stopped or you just didn't have success on Facebook? I, I think the return on the Facebook ads just got to a point where we weren't willing to accept it anymore. Yeah. So we cut off this Facebook. Um, we, we get a lot of people from Google. So those ads have been great for us. Google ads take a while to optimize. I would say, you know, really Google ads this is not my area of expertise. Sure. So we've always had somebody else working on our ads for us. Um, I, I think it to me seems like kind of, you need somebody who does know what they're doing with Google ads and then it can take a good six months or even more for them to really get going. But once they get going, it's really great. Or at least it's been great for us. That's awesome. Um, you know, the other thing, I, I'm not sure if this fits into your question, but I'm just going to throw it out here. Um, the other thing that has made such a huge difference for us and, you know, online shoe shopping is kind of a nightmare. 
you can get free shipping all over the place, but as long as you don't mind shipping back 20 pairs of shoes back and forth. And for us being a really small business, you know, those, all those returns really hurt us. So we had to find a way to get our returns down. There's average shipping, the average return for shoes in the country is above 50%. So, you know, a lot of startup businesses, just, they don't have that return problem. But if you do have that return problem, excuse me, if you do have that return problem, um, we ended up developing our own kind of internal proprietary sizing method. Uh, so now we take foot measurements from people. So if you are new to our website, uh, we ask, not everybody does it, but a lot of people who are struggling with these foot shape anomalies, if they just give us four foot measurements, we can pretty much tell exactly where their issue is. Uh, and then we can we can um, give them a really good size recommendation and we can steer them toward this shoe and away from that shoe. So if you're in a business that has a return problem like apparel, um, if there's any way you can devise something like that for your own particular product, wow. I mean, that just can turn a lot of things around for us. I would say, you know, when we first started taking foot measurements, we were just trying to figure it out. We didn't have a plan. We were not, we didn't have a template. We just took measurements and decided that the data will reveal itself to us. And it did. What we could see from the data collecting the data was that we could get a really good picture of someone's foot and give a good size recommendation. And um, I, I think the other thing we learned from that too is we were we learned that people are really very willing to you know especially the bigger the problem they have the more willing they are to give up data. Uh, so we ended up getting a much more we ended up ending up with a much better picture of who our customers were, their age, their gender, what they were looking for, all that kind of really basic stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and market research some of that, that is like obvious. But, you know, market research is, is something that just continues to happen as you develop these customers. And, and, and if you can find a way to address their, um, you know, return issues, it can, <laughs> that can really address the anxiety. That yeah. So do you, the measurement stuff that you're talking about that people enter, is that all automated? It's fairly manual, you know. If I had a coder on my side or a tech person here, I think this is something that we could turn into a more of a proprietary IP. Um, you know, right now it's uh, shoe fitting is is as much art as it is science. You know, I can tell you if your foot will fit in a shoe, but I can't tell you if it's going to feel good. You know, because your foot is going to be unique to you. Mm -hmm. So. I, I think, you know, there's quite a bit of, of just gut interpretation that is helping us to make good predictions about our shoes. Mm -hmm. So it is somewhat automated, though. I mean, we, we do collect the information on our website, uh, you know, funnels into a spreadsheet, formulas are put into the spreadsheet. And then, you know, the part that isn't automated is, you, you know, you got to have somebody looking at the measurements and doing sort of a interpretation of the data. 
to give somebody a recommendation on what would, what would solve their problem. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of both. That's great, though, that you're getting all that data, because I would think that that would give you leverage on what's next, right? Like your next line. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you said you're coming out with a new line next year, probably. Mm -hmm. um, and do you have long-term dreams? Like what is your, do you have a vision for the future? Well, I mean, we want to scale and exit just like probably everybody, <laughs> every other business out there. I think right. that, you know, what, what we can see that we're good at, we're good at the part where you launch the business and you get it off the ground. I think uh -huh. there's going to come a point that seems very naturally where we need a shoe company to take this business over so that they can put it into their main lines and use their existing infrastructure and resources to develop it larger. Is your facility for where you warehouse the shoes there? No, we're here in Alaska. We warehouse our shoes in St. Louis, which ah. is great because you can just ship out to anywhere in the country from there. Um, mm -hmm. and our shoes are made in Portugal. I would say our, our next line that we're working on to come out that, that separate line we were talking about, that's probably going to be made in China. Um, but what was the question you were going to ask? I was just getting ready to ask, how did you end up with someone or uh, a place in St. Louis? Like I'm mesmerized by all of these companies, these startups that have products, right? And how they manage to navigate to the end product and to shipping, like it, like sourcing materials and getting it created, whether it be skincare, shampoo, shoes, right? Like it's mesmerizing to me, like maybe because I wouldn't have a clue as to where to start, right? And you, well, we it didn't sounds like either. you didn't either. Yeah. So like how like how does that work so you have someone create it in portugal and then it gets shipped to where who boxes it they do they box it up at the factory and then then we import them so they go on a boat and they go by train boat to train to the warehouse and the warehouse is a kind of a standard 3pl the warehouse that we chose has a long history of make it's almost a family-owned business so there's a long history of, of making shoes and the shoe industry is actually kind of a small industry like a lot of people know each other so once you get your hook into the industry one thing can lead to another and that's kind of how we made all these pieces come together i think our period between you know initial idea and startup um, you know, to us at the time, it felt like it took forever. Um, it took about two years for us to pull it all together. And I, I don't think that's very long. I think we were very afraid that somebody else was going to launch a similar idea. Um, I, I would have, I mean, in, in looking back, if I had it to do all over again, I probably would have just slowed down a little bit and taken a little more time. But we just live in this fast, fast, fast culture where we're just so afraid that, you know, if you don't launch now, it's not going to happen. Launch with something. Don't launch. Don't wait till it's perfect. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's truth on both sides. It was, I think that 
we could have maybe taken a little bit longer and gotten a few more things in place. And that might have been a little bit better for us. On the other hand, it's always good to start. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. Like you can ride both sides of that fence, right? But I do agree with you. It feels like we're always on a race against time. <laughs> That's a monster that sits on my shoulder and I'm trying to tell her to shut up. Right. I have that little guy on my shoulder sometimes too, but I can empathize. You can ride so, in the car, but you can't drive. Right. Right. <laughs> so how can we help you? What can we do for you? We want to help you succeed. So what's that look like? I mean, for us, what's really great is just meeting more people, making more connections. These are things that we haven't done in the last couple of years. And we're starting to do more of these kinds of things. Reach out and podcasts. Uh, one of the things that we talked with Lynn about, which we're so excited to make that connection through you, is she just introduced us to a whole bunch of ideas of things that we haven't looked into yet. Like there's all this sort of online live streaming TV, live stream shopping that looks um, really interesting. And so we want to do more of that kind of stuff. And um, I think for us, it's really just about getting the word out. We have a great product. We have really loyal customers. They keep coming back. Um, and our ads are working. And so we're just trying to push the edges to get more and more people um, aware of us. Because that's all we need. We just need more and more people to be aware of us. Right. Lynn has a ton of websites that I had never even heard of. I, I was like, what, what is this? Where do I go? Like, I've never heard of these things, but they Me either. I had never heard of a, all of them, <laughs> but she has some really interesting ideas and we hopped right on a whole bunch of them. So we'll see if, you know, if, if 10% of them get some traction, I'll be thrilled. Yeah. I think that's exciting. You're going to have to keep us in touch or keep us informed because I want to hear about the success. Happy to. Yeah. So what keeps you motivated? To me, it's just really clear. You know, I get these emails every day from somebody saying, thank you for making this product. And, you know, how, how much it's made a difference to them. You know, we have a lot of reviews. People, all our reviews have, a lot of the review content um, contains some of that. That's another thing that we did starting about a year ago. We we started doing the reviews where users are adding their own content and photos and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that has made a really big difference um, because people can see, they can see what they look like on real feet. They can see what people are really saying. Um, but for me, uh, I just know what it's like. I know, I know the pain and agony of trying to get through life uh, when you have a very miserable condition that causes pain and um, having something that provides mobility and some kind of relief from that is just absolutely critical. And it's easy for me to get 
motivated by helping people solve that problem. Mm-hmm. So it's not really hard to come to work every day. What's what's hard to persist with is um, just juggling the scaling issues and uh, you know the stress of of not scaling as fast as you want to or not scaling as fast as you had expected. You know your investors expect a lot. How much inventory do you have to keep here? Like, how do you figure that out? Like, how many pairs to order to put in the warehouse? And is that I ordered a a magic ball (laughs) and I have not gotten one that works yet. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, how do you even? It is the hardest thing. You know, I, I whine and complain about predictions to our our shoe people that we work with all the time. And they just laugh and they're like, welcome to shoes, Laura. <laughs> we got no sympathy for your sadness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're trying to predict sales, um, you know, nine months to a year out. And, you know, sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you get it wrong. I mean, I don't think we're great at it yet. I think we've done really well with um, having some great designs that people really like. Um, You know, we seem to be feast and famine all the time. We're either out of the shoe people want or we have too much of the shoe people want, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, having too much is one kind of problem. It's not it's probably not a bad problem to have this particular year because of, you know, COVID and supply chain issues. I'm Mm -hmm. very worried about being able to get shoes in time for fall. But, you know, for us, we're just working, we're trying to get to a 2X turn, two or three turns per year. Um, Our shoes, our business is very seasonal. So you have basically a fall line and a spring line and everybody does that. Um, So, you know, when we get bigger and things are more predictable, then we'll probably do three or four turns a year, meaning we, we're turning that inventory three or four times in a year. Right now, we're not at that level. Um, we were pretty close to two turns a year for last year. And this year has been a little bit of a setback on that. But we, we got our shoes really late. So now we have to sell you know, a lot of sandals in a kind of shorter period of time. Right. So, so where can people find you and where can they buy Pandir shoes? Well, right now, just go to the website. That's where our stuff is. And the best part about going to the website is that you can almost always chat with somebody and it's a real person answering. Um, and they know a lot about swelling and know a lot about our shoes. So, um, it's just seems to work really well. We've got some really great ways of getting to the right shoe size. Right. That's awesome. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know or you'd like to share? Well, just self-servingly, I mean, I would just say that, um, you know, almost everybody knows somebody who has these kinds of issues. Either they have them themselves or they have a parent or family member. And, um, you know, the biggest thing you could do to help us is just spread the word, really. Tell your family members, tell your 
friends and anybody that you know that um, needs needs to have a shoe that is more accommodating to a variety of shapes. Um, you know, once people find us, it's they like us. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit of a fishing expedition to to find them. Right. I think it's fantastic what you're doing, and I don't have a pair yet, but I'd like to order a pair because I think it's awesome. And I think it's well needed. And I think that you've got a really good edge on a niche market. Like, well, you're thank doing you. Good things. Send me your sizes and we'll try to get you some shoes. <laughs> I need to take measurements. <laughs> yes, that's what we need. I want to see your foot measurements and then we can tell you. <laughs> tell me about your feet and I'll tell you everything else about you. Exactly. <laughs> funny. Well, I really appreciate your time today and thanks for sharing your story and maybe you'll have to come back um, at a later date so we can hear all the success stories, but you're doing great. So thank you. I, 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 I love talking to you. I love what you're doing. I'm so happy to be participating in this kind of thing. I just you know, I, for, for us, it's always been a big motivator to work with other women entrepreneurs and to be able to have that kind of collaboration. And, uh, you know, we just all keep putting one foot forward. We'll get there. Right. 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 Stick together, support each other and keep going. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a fantastic day. Keep me posted on everything and, um, we'll touch base soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Brooke. See you later. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Wild Feather. Be authentic, be limitless, and love yourself. (laughs) 